Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This week on the Mike Wise Show, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss Unplugged. We'll talk about her losing the trifecta of all time, her mother, David Stern, and Kobe Bryant. We'll share stories of the Lakers' return to the top of the NBA once again. And basically, this is probably the most personal interview I've ever done on the podcast. So, Darlene, please do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. And now that the Lakers have secured banner number 17, the purple and gold are back on top of the basketball world, and we are joined by the boss woman herself, Lakers owner, or should we say Lakers governor, Jeannie Buss. Welcome back, Jeannie. Um, thank you for that distinction. I like governor because um, I'm not the only owner. There's co-owners, my siblings and right. other uh, Lakers shareholders. And um, so thank you for governor, but I am the one governor, yes. And you're the majority owner, right? Um, my family is, the right. family trust, yes. I can say with um, factual certainty that you're the first female owner, governor of a franchise to win an NBA title. Um, and I don't think that was made, made as much as it should have been after you guys won. I, I think that it's a barrier. It's a, it's a milestone. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I don't look at it that way, but I know when I was younger how much it meant to me to see women in powerful positions. They, that that inspired me. So, it, you know, I I welcome that if I'm inspiring uh, young women to say, well, if she can do that, then I can do whatever it is that I want to take on. And if I can be an inspiration for that, then I, I welcome it. I look at it, I mean, I, I think it's great, but I also look at it, all the heat that that you and, for instance, Linda Ramba, Linda Rambus, the um, executive director of special projects, a good friend of yours, wife of Kurt, but a very important person in the Lakers organization, uh, first of all. And I almost felt like when things were going poorly, I wondered if some of the criticism uh, bordered on misogynistic. And did you think so? Um, I... I absolutely um, agree with that. There are, you know, there are members of the media that cover our sport, our league, who um, follow the all the other governors in the league, but don't follow me on social media, or you know, have never asked to interview me. And you know, I just think that it's like, oh she doesn't matter, you know, who cares, you know, even though the Lakers franchise in itself is important, I, I do think there's still that barrier there. And, you know, that 
just takes time to evolve and to change because I think younger generations don't look at gender as something that you know divides it's you know gender is not something how you how you look at a person it's it's the person that you look at not their gender but you know the there's a lot of established people that it's it's uncomfortable frankly that a woman is in a position like mine um, thankfully, I would say in the NBA, in, in, in terms of the league and the other members of the board, um, I think we have a very progressive league and we have uh, great representation and, um, you know, in terms of, you know, board positions and NBA positions. So I think it's changed a lot since I got started in this over 30 years ago. Mm. But um, I think we do have a ways to go. I, th I think people forget too. You were part of many meetings, many uh, unreported meetings that uh, all went toward either an acquisition or whether or not you hired somebody or whether you, you were part of the business long before um, you became uh, the governor of the franchise. And I think people forget that. And I, even when you're, a, you know, you, you still, you're still as, as regular a person as I can imagine for, um, for the things you've done in life, you, you still, you were almost, it was almost like a humility that people couldn't really see because you were doing a lot of crap. Behind, you were doing a lot of shit behind the scenes. And, um, and I think I just think it's good that you got you get credit for it now, that knowing you as I do. Thank you, Mike. We go way back. You've seen yeah. me in action, so you you know I appreciate that you yeah. fill in the blanks for people who are just now hearing about me. Well, I think it's just such an incredible turnaround when you miss the playoffs six straight seasons, and you enter this season in which obviously. Uh, getting Anthony Davis, having LeBron James, there's so much expectation. And yet the Clippers were, there were, there were stories that the Clippers were going to make Los Angeles their town. And right up until the end, the Clippers looked so good. All of a sudden you, you, you guys went to a second year and it was, I don't know, 10 years without a title in Los Angeles um, for the Lakers is probably 60 for any other franchise <laughs> let's be honest that's where the bar is and so I guess congratulations on the championship but it hasn't sunk in yet uh, it hasn't sunk in you know when you when you talk about the 17th banner you know it's like all of a sudden it's like oh wow we we got to make room for another banner and we we got to push those trophies behind me like a little bit closer so we can fit another one in there so um yeah it's it hasn't sunk in but yet for me, you know, and, and, you know, to talk about what's happened since um, my father passed away in 2013 um, and all the changes that ha have happened, to me, this seems we're back to where we were, we were kind of like that. This feels normal to me. It's the last, you know, seven or eight years that things were topsy-turvy. And, and getting the team back into the conversation again. I mean, my goal was to see the team get back in the playoffs. The idea that we weren't in the playoffs last season and we went straight to being champions, you know, it kind of exceeded my expectations of what was possible. But when you have a player like LeBron James, um, you know, you, you, 
you know, you go all in because, you know, how much, how many more years he's going to play. I think he could play a lot, a lot longer. It, just watching him, he doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. So I hope he plays a lot longer, but you know, you want to make the most of his abilities and that's what we did. And I think, um, you know, and, 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 you know, I want to show my respect to the Clippers because they've been consistent. They've been in the playoffs every year, those seven or eight years that we were struggling. And, you know, we needed to, we needed to get back to who we were, you know, they, they, um, had been, like I said, consistent and successful and we hadn't, and we needed to, to get back to, to where, where we needed to be. It's uh, like Ali is behind me, my favorite sports personality person of all time. He, he needed Joe Frazier as his rival in time to be as great as he could. I know the Clippers and you haven't you know, knocked heads in the play, but, but there's always been since Chris Paul finally arrived on the, on the scene, which he should be a Laker, but that's another story. Um, uh, <laughs> the, 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 it's like a two newspaper town. I always feel bad when the one newspaper goes out of business because you know, the second one is not going to compete like it did and it's going to cut its own, but, and, and all of a sudden you have somebody raising their bar and sure. And I look at Steve Ballmer who you're, uh, I'm sure friends with collegially, at least this is a guy who, I don't know. I, he stands for all the right things in life. Um, and the, they, he gave a grant. I don't even know this, but he, I did a story for the CBS DC station back here. He gave a grant that uh, $25 million that empowered um, uh, to school districts to hire um, male African-American teachers because kids aren't being, kids are essentially taught by Caucasian women still in America. And it's like, all of a sudden they're learning, but part of the learning gap for these kids statistically is they don't see anybody who looks like them teaching them. And, uh, and so he, you know, they wouldn't even interview for the grant because they wanted it to be about, but Steve Ballmer wouldn't, and I've met him a couple of times. He wouldn't interview because he wanted it to be about the grant and the kids that got, and the kids and the people that got the grant, you're in that same milk. Uh, you, you stand for the right things. And, you know, I, I admire that's that's a very important issue that he's supporting. And we we're trying to do things to make, um, you know, you know, using our platform to make things better and to, you know, take on challenges. And, um, you know, so I admire him for that. Who who I was really looking at kind of took the Lakers mystique or you know kind of what Dr. Bass had built was the Golden State Warriors and you know having kind of building uh, a, a culture of winning to the point where they could draw a free agent like Kevin Durant to their team and that's how the Lakers used to be and so now you know we we're, we're showing that our organization and our culture is about winning and hopefully because we, we went through this, this time period where we were trying to get Carmelo Anthony and LaMarcus Aldridge, and you know they met with us and they said, thanks, but no thanks. And that was something that wasn't very Laker-like. And so mm -hmm. I think the Golden State Warriors have really set the bar. And even though they, they struggled this year with injuries, I expect them to come back full force and, um, you know, 
that they're they're the class of the league for sure. Yeah, yeah. Even I, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you. There was, and I sent you a tweet about this, a direct message. And there were a bunch of Native Americans who were really that I've dealt with for years on the Washington name issue, and they they were they they told me personally like you have to thank Jeannie Buss for speaking out about that because if her and Spike Lee and shoot AOC doesn't doesn't say anything and it's only a Native American issue. And you know, like there were surveys about how this affected kids' self-esteem and how they saw themselves and, and not just uh, Native American kids, but all our kids. Like we, we, you know, we still have costumes when you can go to a Halloween store and dress up as a race. We don't have that for any other race but them. And for you to say that, for you to put that out there, and I mean, for God bless America, like the name was changed. I mean, was, that was huge. You know, it's, it's what, what started for me, like, and cause I loved playing fantasy football. Like I, yeah. that was like, I was like a huge, you know, I loved doing the draft and talking crap with the people I was in the league with. And it was just so much fun. But when, um, when the whole Donald Sterling issue came up, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was, it, it, the the Clippers were in the playoffs and the the team didn't know how to react they didn't know they didn't you know they didn't want to represent this person who clearly was showing them disrespect that's right they almost didn't play right and so what they did was they turned their jerseys inside out okay because they didn't want to wear something they were ashamed of and and that like all of a sudden it clicked to me that if there were players on the Washington football team that felt that way, and every day they had to put on a jersey that they felt disrespected people, I, you know, it, it just all of a sudden I was like, I can't, I can't play fantasy football anymore. Well, first, the first year I, I said I just won't draft any players from the Washington team. That will be my. <laughs> You're like the referee, Mike Carey. <laughs> who Mike Carey wouldn't work Washington's games secretly behind the scenes. Yeah. For the last eight years of his career. And he was one of the best officials and he would, his crew, he asked the league, I I, I think it's disrespectful. I don't like standing on that head, that that Indian head in the middle of the field and he wouldn't work. And people found out about this later. And I'm thinking you guys missed out on one of the best officiating crews as a fan base. I see. I didn't even know that, but I, I just couldn't, and then, and then I, then the next year, I thought, wait a minute, I'm punishing players on the Washington team by not choosing them on mm. my fantasy team, and it's not their fault. It's not they're not the ones like they they got drafted there. They get signed there. Like it's not their fault. The name of the team. So then I thought, okay, I just can't. I can't support. The, I can't support the league when they allow this to happen. And so it wasn't like I could change anything. It was just like, personally, if there was one person in that found it offensive or hurt them, as in my position with the Lakers, I would never want any um, fan to feel insulted or demeaned in any single way. And so that's where I couldn't understand why the business was allowed it was just it like nobody spoke out about it and you know I made you know my statement about it and how I felt about it and I tried to talk to as many people as I could 
but you know i'm glad that finally it there was the realization that a, a change needed to be made and i know it's it, and it's different i don't i don't believe there's issues with the names of you know the chiefs mm -hmm. you know that's a sign of respect but it was it was the identification of a person by their color racial skin. slur yeah, that's, a lot, a that's lot of the americans just right. don't like the whole you know sort of being mascoted sort of it feel they feel like it unpeoples them almost like like oh and it's sort of at some point it's i get it it's their religious and spiritual practices and I'm still waiting for a team called the Fighting Whiteys, which has not happened and will not, God bless. Um, the, the, uh, the thing was, I was going to ask you all these newsmaker questions to make this interview go national. You know, uh, you and Phil Jackson, do you still talk? Uh, when, will LeBron retire Laker? And unfortunately, what's going to come out of this now is the amount of time the Lakers governor spends on fantasy football. And I think it's disconcerting, and I think that's really sad. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> I I just it's like I can't play fantasy basketball, so like it was like a kind uh, of my outlet. Oh, you're, I, you're right because you're an owner. Exactly. That's so crazy. I didn't it, even it was think the about only that. Thing that was safe for me to do, and 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 you know I I give it to the league that like it's it's so much fun, and I, I think it and. You know, and also um, you have to remember there was a we had a 20 year period where we had no NFL team in Los Angeles. Yes. Like that was my way of like, you know, watching football because we didn't have an L.A. team to cheer for. And so, you know, Team United, that was my, my team name. was yeah. That was my football experience. That's so awesome. I will get back into fantasy football now. that, that I love it. I'm going to take my kids eventually to a game because uh, they changed the name. I think it's great. Um, the flip side, of course, but being devil's advocate, I remember this great, the onion, you know, the satirical newspaper, they had this great piece on Bono once uh, and you too. And it was all phony, but it was hilarious. And it's like, um, the, the mem and it was sort of the members of U2 were getting upset at Bono for trying to save the world. And they're like, when is he going to make a fucking record again? And, and I thought to myself, if you're an owner, on one hand, especially with your social conscience, you love these messages. You love the Black Lives Matter. You love that that players were so impacted by what with the racial reckoning in this country that they almost ref not refused to play, but had real qualms about going into this bubble, almost like not the real world. And while the, you know America's burning in outside of that bubble, and so this met this whole thing with the league and everything else. But is there also a party like okay, LeBron? We know you're trying to save the world. The reason you are able to be so, so have such a platform and be an entertainment mogul now and all these other things is because you're a freaking basketball player. We need you to be a basketball player. Do you, do you ever think that, does that ever go in your mind or you, you know he has a balance in his own head about what's right? And, well, and, I mean, this coming from my view, I think when Magic Johnson announced he was HIV positive, mm that he changed the way people thought about HIV and what was going on in the world. And he saved lives and he moved the ball forward. And he didn't have to do that. He could have kept it quiet. He could have, you know, said, you know, I wanna spend more time with my family and just disappeared. But instead he embraced it and he used his platform 
as a beloved basketball player to, you know, literally change the world. And so from that day forward, it's, you know, the power of, of our basketball players um, and, and them embracing, you know, that leadership role or not, there's some that don't want to do that. And it has to be a personal choice that we allow them to have that platform. And, you know, and I think in, in this, the coronavirus, this pandemic, I think Adam Silver should be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because the decision he made to shut down the league, I think made people realize quickly, this is no joke. Like we have to take this seriously. And he say, probably saved thousands of lives by making that decision because- Because the country uh, shut down after that. Exactly. And so, um, you know, the leadership at our league has been consistent in terms of, you know, yes, we are a, an entertainment sports, you know, company, but that we have a platform and a way of reaching people in a way that others don't. And, you know, there is some kind of responsibility to use that for the betterment of the world. And I, I think LeBron is so heads and shoulders above it as well. He, he for, in my mind, when he put on the hoodie with Dwayne Wade and the heat and took that picture, that was, it, that was almost to me, it was like the renaissance of social conscience among athletes again. Like, obviously, they aren't, the, the barriers that, you know, um, Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali and Kareem and Arthur Ashe and all these, these John Carlos and Tommy Smith faced weren't there because of the economic power of athletes. And, but, but still there was this real, there was this real sort of, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Michael Jordan said it or not, but Republicans buy sneakers too, was this whole idea of don't offend uh, either side and don't be convicted in your pro in your public life. Just be, have convictions in your private life. And LeBron said, no, we believe this Trayvon Martin thing was awful enough as a team and as an organization, I thought like nobody, there was no Black Lives Matter at that moment. There was no Ferguson. There was no uh, George Floyd. There was, um, we did not, we did not, we weren't looking at ourselves like we're looking at ourselves now. And I, I think LeBron, uh, you know, I, I give him so much credit. I think on basketball wise, just how many more titles does he have to win to have his own statue outside Staples Center? Um, you know, he, you know, this was my dad's goal when he bought the team in 1979 was to give Los Angeles a, a, a team that could be part of the conversation in the NBA. He felt that there was such an East Coast bias that only, people only cared about the Knicks or the 76ers or the Celtics. So, you know, the idea, like, you know, in his lifetime, his dream was to surpass the Celtics in terms of titles. And unfortunately, it didn't happen in his lifetime. And, um, you know, LeBron is, you know, somebody, you know, I've only recently really got to know him as a person. And I admire him so, so much because we had dinner um, about a year and a half ago, and he 
talked about, you know, he knew the Laker history since he'd been in the league, but he'd done a real deep dive into how this organization came to be and, and uh, learned about my dad. And um, he was, he was really, um, you know, he, he said to me, you know, the, what your dad built is something really special. And the idea that he left you in charge of it is really such a compliment to you. And I hope you realize that. And I think that he's, he's taken on that, you know, what the Lakers mean to Los Angeles and wanting to get us over the hump, which was to, you know, now we're tied with the Celtics in terms of titles, but maybe take us to, you know, to be greater. So I, I think there's, there's a, a lot of inspiration that he has in terms of getting the Lakers franchise, some a franchise that he respects, you know, back to where they belong. And that's kind of what he said to me um, right after we won the championship. He, he hugged me and he oh, said neat. in my ear, yeah, that, you know, we set out what we wanted to accomplish and we've done it. But, you know, I, I believe that there's more in there and, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how everything unfolds. I mean, every team, you know, wants to win a championship and it's mm -hmm. very difficult to win a championship. I think this particular year was the most challenging ever in that we can imagine uh, you know being isolated in a bubble and you know sticking through it really showed the resiliency of this team and the commitment that they made to each other to see the see the process through and it showed and I couldn't be more proud uh, Dave Wall, who we both know and has a long career um, in, with the league, he, he, he made a great point when I said, well, this is going to be an asterisk season for many reasons. Too. And he goes, yeah, but an asterisk in a different way. He said, I think that whatever team wins this is going to have one of the signature accomplishments in the history of professional sports because the season was canceled. And you had to go into this uh, this really hermetically sealed bubble while Nobody uh, ever wanted for food or entertainment. They, they probably wanted their families. And they probably wanted um, a, a regular life or not to actually just go on the internet and, and find out what's happening in the world. They wanted to be a part of this, the, the, the movement and everything that was going on, many of them. And so I, think, and I kind of agree with them now. I think this was one of the greatest accomplishments in the history of team sport. And I'm not saying that if the Dodgers win it all, it won't be uh, because they, but they didn't have the season that the NBA had and they certainly didn't restart and they certainly didn't come back and, and go into a bubble for a long time. So I hats off in ways I can't even imagine. I think your father would be incredibly proud of you and the franchise. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, like I said, it's that I know that's what was his driving force and I, I feel like I still report to him that I'm, I'm doing exactly, you know, I'm, I'm operating the team exactly the way he would have. And that, that's what was kind of troubling, you know, um, you know, in the years prior that it just didn't feel like 
the Lakers and and I didn't understand some of the decisions that were being made and you know finally had to make a change and you know get us back on track and and uh you know I I you know mm. he he entrusted me with this team and I will do I will run it the way he would run it when I revealed um, that I had been abused sexually as a child in a, in a Penn State article about Penn State many years ago, um, some of the things I'd written to this day has split me off with my family on that side. And it's sad and it's awful, but in some ways it was for a good reason. I can't imagine the split that you went through with your brothers and everything else. Um, I look at how everything's come out on the other side now. And uh, someone asked me this on Twitter when I told him I was going to have a podcast on you. He said, I think his name was John Kelly. He said, could you ask Jeannie what her father would say to her now? Like, what, what would he say to you now if, if he could say something to you? And maybe he has, the, you know, if you feel like you still report to him. <laughs> I make the joke that, like, I feel like I still report to him. No wonder I haven't had a raise in eight years. <laughs> 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 I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I think he would be, he would be very proud. And, um, you know, he, it, and, you know, like I said, it, it's very hard to win a championship, but his feeling always was, you have to be part of the conversation. You can't win a championship if you're not making the playoffs. And in the 32 years he ran the team, they only missed the playoffs twice. And, you know, here we went six years without being part of the conversation. So, you know, it just, it, it's like I didn't understand where, what, what was happening and, and the decisions, you know, um, we had a great coach in Mike Brown and, you know, very defensive minded coach. And then 18 months later, they made a change and hired another great coach, Mike D'Antoni, but a very offensive-minded coach who didn't match the roster that we had. And when you're changing coaches every 18 months, your roster can't, it can't adjust that quickly. And so the, the decisions, I couldn't see a path that was being created to get us to be competitive again. And then striking out with free agents because, um, you know, I was literally in a meeting where, you know, one of the, the free agents asked our front office, okay, well, who am I going to be playing with? You know, who's, who's going to be? And they were like, well, we don't know yet. Like we haven't, we haven't put the roster together. And it was like, you know, who, what free agent wants to come to a team that's like, we can't tell you how we're going to use you or, you know, how we're going to make you shine, how you're going to be the best version of yourself and how we're gonna take you to a next level. And um, you know, that's, that's what I didn't understand. And that's why, that's kind of what we're going, you know, that's, that's what the culture that we've created now, that we're, we're very uh, open communication with our players and there's a collaborative feeling in terms of, um, you know, just hearing what people have to say. Everybody has a voice. And, um, you know, we, we struggled with, um, you know, after making the change um, and bringing Magic Johnson in, um, mm -hmm. we had some leaks that were, um, it, we were experiencing. And now those have been shored up. Because when, when you have leaks in an organization, 
um, then you now have a created and uh, you know a, an air of mistrust that people can't speak freely because they're whatever they say is going to be out on social media, and um, you know then when people don't trust each other, then they keep things to themselves and maybe they do talk off the record and. So, you know, we had that kind of going on and I, I really couldn't figure out where it was coming from, but now we've made the, the right changes and put the people in place. And, you know, there, there's this just great feeling of camaraderie and, um, you know, sharing this experience. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you, you know, a lot of people commented that they could see that in the Lakers and the teamwork and respect and the love and the trust that's between teammates. And, you know, that allows you to be greater than just yeah. the sum of your parts. That's like the secret sauce that, you know, gets people to work that much harder because they know somebody has their back. They're not going to be standing out there alone. And, um, you know, that, that's what I'm really proud of. And that, that that's was... something, go ahead. Sorry. No, I cut you off. No, I mean, I just, it's like, I have to give a lot of credit. You yeah. know, I, I had some great influences in my life, certainly my father, but also, you know, a person like David Stern and mm. a person like Phil Jackson. So these were really important mentors to me and that, and so what you see, the, the way I do things, they have a lot of influence on who I've become as an executive in this league. I, I, Phil, to me, um, I, I don't know if he said it once or not, but we talk about the secret sauce and, and um, it, it was something like this, you know, creating the subline choreography of teamwork and how that's so underrated now and, and how Red Holtzman taught it to him in New York and how he, tried to foster the same thing in Chicago and Los Angeles, wherever he went. And, um, and I feel like it's easy to say winning is a great deodorant. And, uh, you know, these guys, we make them out to be bad guys when they lose and they're knuckleheads. And when they win, they're, they're tales of character, heart, and redemption. But the Lakers like playing together. There's no question. You could see it. And I, I, I'm not saying every team that wins at all likes playing, but this, this was, you know, this felt like the Warriors a few years ago, even before Durant, because they – you know, it was sort of like it didn't matter who got the ball and what time. If you could put it in, and I mean, it's the Alex Caruso character, you know? Like, he's very talented on his own. He could probably score 20 a game for another franchise somewhere, but – and yet the, the he fits in, and all these guys fit in their own roles. Um, I, I was thinking – I was thinking out loud, like, Anthony Davis, um, that championship doesn't happen if he doesn't come aboard – and Michael Lee, my, my friend who now went back to the Washington Post, one of my favorite basketball writers and a good friend, he, he made a great point. He said he was the perfect complimentary all-star future Hall of Famer for LeBron because he let LeBron be LeBron. He wasn't going to get in his way. And his personality is such that he's okay being quieter. And, you know, and, and yet he's such a, he, he's a lead-by-example player. I, th I think that was such an important acquisition and people can say what they want about getting his friend to play with him and Rich Paul represents both of them. But let's be honest, that was, that was, that was an acquisition that irrespective of their relationship as people, it made sense for all the right basketball reasons. Um, you know, for me, 
like probably the most difficult part of this job is to, you know, participate in player trades. And we had this young core that, you know, I was very, felt very protective of, you know, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, um, that, you know, it just, it was, it, it was really difficult for me to sign off on that trade, but to get a player of Anthony Davis's talent, you have to give up great talent. You know, that's how trades work. And, um, you know, so um, one of the lessons that my dad was always trying to teach me was he wanted, my dad was a great card player and, you know, was even on the, you know, World Series of Poker, like he was that great of a poker player. And he would try to get me to learn how to play poker, but I'm a horrible gambler. I'm a horrible bluffer. I don't, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, it's just not in me. I turn red. I'm like, I'm not a good liar or bluffer or whatever. And so he would, he'd get frustrated with me. And, you know, I could, I really couldn't understand like, why is this so important that he wants me to be a good poker player? So he, he finally explained to me the reason I want you to understand how to play poker, play, be a good card player, is that what people don't understand to be a good poker player is that you have to wait for the cards. You have to have the cards in order to, to play a hand. And what people tend to do is they like, you know, try to overcompensate or rush and he said, you have to have stamina and you have to wait things out and, and until you have the right cards. And he said, and here's where I, he goes, I know you have patience and I know you have stamina, but what I don't know is can you go, because once you get the cards, you have to go from zero to a hundred and you got to play those cards. Go all and, in. And you got to go all in. And so when that trade happened, you know, it, it also included the number four pick because um, we had the yes. lottery pick. So it was, you know, four big pieces, assets, cards. You know, my dad would say chips, you know, that you had four great things in order to, to get one. And, you know, can you make that play? Do you have the guts to do it? Can you turn it on when you need to? And so it, I kind of felt hearing his voice at that moment, like, this is the time. This is when you got to play the cards. Mm. And like, like I said, you had LeBron James, and you have to make the most of what's remaining of his playing time. And it was time. And we had the pieces, and we did it. And we accomplished what I, I feel was a, a, a good trade for both sides. And... Um, you know, and yeah. now Anthony is a Laker, and I couldn't be more proud that he is a Laker. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I just heard your dog bark in the background. <laughs> um, we will get to our dog relationship in a minute. Um, I, but look, I, I um, shoot, uh, there's so many, so many good things here said. Did you still call, did, did you always call your father Dr. Buss to people who interview you? What did you call him? I called him dad. I mean, Dr. Bus, it, it, it helps when I do interviews to, to let people know I'm talking about the business side of things. Mm -hmm. And 
when I tell a story and I'm saying my dad was, you know, teaching me this, that's, that's, he, this is who he wanted his daughter to be and, and the strong lessons that he taught me that I could use in life, just in, not just in running a basketball team, but just, you know, the things that were important to him to pass on to his children. And um, I don't know, everybody always talks about your father, your mother, Joan. I don't know anything about her. Could you just say, you don't have to give us the, the I don't want to, the cliff notes seems too trite, but, you know, I feel, I feel like she deserves some credit here. I mean, she, she brought you into the world, darn it. <laughs> she, um, you know, she passed away in December. Um, just this and, past December. Yes. And so I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, it's like, I mean, and I'm glad that you brought her up because it's, it, you know, it's like going through, you know, this was a, a, a very painful time period for me. I, mm. I lost my mother in mid-December. I lost David Stern right after the, the new year. And then mm. we lost Kobe Bryant shortly afterwards. And it was, it seemed such a heavy burden of, you know, how, how am I going to, handle this and losing you know these important people in my life and you know what i what i talked about was how laker nation was you know we we came together like in in and you know in in periods of mourning and grief you have to have community. You have to have people that you can lean on because otherwise you feel alone and isolated. And, and um, you know, when, when Kobe passed, you know, he, he, was, he was a source of strength for me. Um, one of the last conversations we had was he called me because my mother had passed away and he had heard she passed away and he wanted to check in on me. This was a person who I loved dearly and and I thought I would have the rest of my life as in terms of a sounding board for the Lakers and and just things that were going on and he um, you know we we asked the league you know uh, you know the night before he passed away, LeBron broke one of his records. And Kobe called him to congratulate him on, on passing his record. And, you know, we, we just had this, there's great synergy of, of, you know, Rob Palinka as running our front office is, was Kobe's best friend. And that we just had this like strong group of people connected. And so I asked the league, you know, can you please, um, can we please not play the next game? We need time. Like there's, the players are, it's, it's really taking a toll emotionally on our players, on our staff. And, you know, and, and we were scheduled to play the Clippers and the Clippers graciously agreed, you know, to postpone the game because we were in this state. And, um, you know, it, 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 um, you know, when we did finally come back and play, LeBron made a speech where he he said to Laker Nation, like, you know, I'm strong, you know, lean on me, you know, I've got broad shoulders. 
and that's what we did. Laker Nation leaned on LeBron to, to lead us in this grieving process. And it kind of became this, you know, this part of the season of keeping Kobe close to our hearts. And, you know, it, it was something that happened organically. You know, some people said, well, how did the organization tell the team to, you know, you know, when, when Anthony Davis made that game winning shot and said, you know, Kobe's name when he made it. I mean, that's organic. That comes from your heart. That isn't a marketing thing. That's, that's real. And that's humanity. And that's people caring for each other in the time of grief and sorrow. And that's what gets us through it. That's the only way you get through it is through that community and leaning on each other when we're sad. Um, I'm not crying because uh, uh, I, um, I mean, I love, I love David Stern. I think he was a great commissioner. Uh, I was very sad and I went to his memorial service very, um, and, uh, and I didn't get, even though I knew Kobe more peripherally through the job than anything, even though we had some real private moments, I didn't know him like certainly you did and others. And I didn't cry until my son, 10, came up to me and, and he just, it was like a week later and we were watching this Kobe tribute and he goes, dad, you know, what's the saddest? And he goes, um, Kobe's daughters aren't going to get to see him grow older. And I like lost it. I lost it because, you know, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a dog or a child, like those are your babies. And and you um and you realize that those things pain. I where like where I probably should know this, but where were you when you got the news and how devastating was it? Um, and I'm, by the way, I'm crying for you because it's a lot of loss. It 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 it's it you know I mean it's, it's your something mom, you're, yeah a person that was a father figure to you not just business wise but per personally and this guy who sort of been part of your life in so many ways and sort of like he's not the player anymore. He's this fully developed human being that's got so much to offer. And I mean, it, 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 like some days you just felt like I can't, I, you know, how am I going to get out of bed? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, and basketball felt normal because again, like the community and, and sharing that love and knowing that we will protect the Bryant family that we love Vanessa and, and Kobe's daughters and that, you know, the loss of Gianna is, is devastating on so many levels. You know, um, when um, there was a day after Kobe retired, we, um, were, we planned to have lunch and Linda Rambis and I, you know, drove to Orange County to meet him and he brought Gianna with him mm. because he wanted Gianna to, you know, see strong women in business. But I think he also knew that I was feeling down and feeling lost. You know, I hadn't made the change with my brother. And I think he wanted to cheer me up and he wanted to show me like, you're inspiring my daughter and, and my daughter is gonna inspire you. To, to be the best you can be. And that is mm. the message that I, I know what Kobe meant to me, but I didn't know how generous he was with his time, with other athletes, 
from not just basketball, but every sport, like when um, uh, uh, the, um, now I'm like blanking on her name, won the US Open, um, she talked about, you know, she like Kobe was her inspiration and she wore a, a Kobe jersey in her post-game interviews. And um, she, she talked about, you know, meeting him and, and, and she said, someday I want to be as great as you. And Kobe said, no, you're going to be better. Yeah. And Naomi and, Osaka. Yeah, Naomi Osaka. Sorry. I mean, what Thank a you. special woman she is. And, and right. And like, and, and that, you know, I had no idea that they had that connection until she talked about it. And, and, and just hearing, you know, football players with the Eagles and soccer players in Europe and, you know, that how he touched people. I know that legacy will never go away. Like we will protect the family. We will love his children and we will, you know, protect what Kobe stood for. And, um, you know, that's how we, we get through this pain because it's, it's painful yeah. and it's sad. There are so many people that, oh, Kobe's complicated legacy. I, I don't know if it was that complicated in the end. I think it was very simple. Here was a guy who, who, who made an awful decision once and never made, it again, never made that decision again and, and really strove to be a better dad, be a better husband, be a better player. And, and uh, what got me, another thing that got me, I got emotional, was when having written Shaquille O'Neal's second autobiography of three. By the way, I don't know any 50-year-old man who has three autobiographies. God bless you, Shaq. But, uh, you know, I, I, that was during the time, two, 2000, when we were writing that, when he just was, he loved Kobe the player. He hated him as a person. And they didn't get past that till later. When I saw Kobe Bryant calling, um, uh, calling Sharif O'Neal, Shaquille's son, who had a heart condition, was unsure that he was ever going to play again and had to switch college, all these things that happened to him. When I saw Kobe checking in on him all days and, and Sharif sharing the text, I uh, just, man, here's this guy, like, he, he really loved Shaquille O'Neal's son, a person who was really, even though they got past that, they became friends, they were really rivals in time on the same team for a while. And, I don't know, man. It's just all of that together. So, so Joan Buss, good woman. How how old was she? How long did she live? And, I, uh, and by the way, if you got a meeting, you can you can cut this off at any time. But I love talking to you about your life. Oh, uh, thank you. I I, I I'm free till ten thirty, so I okay. have another a little while. Okay. Um, um, you know, she just you know she's a great woman. Stayed in the background. Mm. Um, just a, a lovely, sweet person who loved to play slot machines. She moved to Vegas. Um, you, you know, and she was a bandit. There. She was a one-armed bandit. Yeah, she loved it. So, or, or the or the machines were abandoned and took her money. <laughs> and she, you know, she loved um, you know, music, and she just just a sweet, yeah. sweet heart. Was it hard to uh, maintain that relationship when your parents did uh, get divorced? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a product of divorce. And I think, especially that era of time, parents tried to shield children from the, you know, what was going on. And, and I don't know if that, 
I don't think they advise that now. Now you you explain to a child that what divorce is, why mommy and daddy aren't living together, but I was just kind of left in the dark about it. So it actually led me to when I uh, graduated from high school, I, I ended up going to live with my dad so that I had time you know, with him. And that led to our relationship growing closer and him buying uh, this big old movie star mansion because he said, if you're gonna live with me, I, I need a bigger house. So we ended up moving to this old, uh, it was called the Pickfair Estate. It was Mary Pickford and Douglas mm -hmm. Fairbanks. And it was, you know, during the eighties and it was, it like, you know, my dad was very well known in sports, but all of a sudden we became like kind of Hollywood people and we were hosting all these kind of celebrity events. And even in the 1984 Olympics, Pickfair became one of the hospitality spots for athletes. And, you know, it just, it just kind of changed our, the whole dynamic. I became like, a, you know, a tour guide of this, this old movie star mansion, but Mary wow. Pickford kind of became a substitute grandmother, even though she had passed away. Um, she was one of the founders of United Artists. And what United Artists were was was Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, and a director by the name of um, now I'm forgetting his name. This is and, Hollywood royalty, by the way. This right, is all Hollywood royalty. The point was was she? It, this was like the 1920s, and she had a seat at the table. She was like a. She was a powerful woman. Woman, right? That her voice was heard, and she leveraged her talent to get a seat at the table so that she could be part of the business decisions. And so she's kind of a spirit animal for me, and I I've always looked up to her. Um, that's what a, what a story. I mean, just growing up around that. Um, did did Phil Jackson? Uh, contact you after the victory and congratulate you. I know you're still friends. Yes, he, um, he, you know, we, we've been texting. We've um, talked to each other a few times, FaceTime. He's in Montana. He is, ever since the lockdown, he went to Montana just because, you know, he's at that age that's, you know, you know, uh, where they, you know, we have to be protective of him and his health and, Montana is much more spread out, easier easier to social distance there than in LA. But he still owns his home in LA, so I haven't physically seen him, um, you know, since he left in um, the, the the winter. But um, you know, we talk regularly, and you know, he did text the morning of that game, uh, game six. He said, "Don't pack your bag." Like, and, and that, like some people uh, they take that as like, oh, what are you, was he saying your guys are going to lose? No, it's like, don't get ahead of yourself. You got, this game still has to get played. That's, mm. that's the Phil Jackson. So, you know, a lot of the, the, the wisdom that I learned from him and, um, you know, just being on that side of things, uh, obviously I'd been on the business side of running a team. I'd been on the business side of operating an arena, but you know, now I got into the side of how a coach thinks and how a coach uh, approaches a season. 
And, you know, Phil had, um, you know, very specific things of how he did things. And that's important that a coach, um, you know, have a process that they stick to. And maybe sometimes it doesn't always, you know, go with how the business wants to run or whatever. It's just, you know, a coach has to be a leader and, and, and stand for the things that they believe in because they'll be tested many times by their team. And, um, you know, but he, he had a holistic view of how a team should operate and that, you know, the number 12 guy on a team is as important as the number one guy. And if you can't find a way to make everybody happy and fulfilled in their role, then, then you can't be successful. So, you know, he, he really illuminated that side of, of how things go downstairs as opposed to upstairs. And that was a huge connection for me to make. And we were together, you know, over 15 years. And, yeah, 17, you know, I think it was 17 years. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, 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 you know, when I think of, you know, kind of how our relationship ended, you know, that was, you know, my dad's wish was to have my brother Jimmy oversee basketball and I would oversee the business side of the operation. And he had put that in place while he was still alive. And, you know, we were trying to make it work, but, you know, Jimmy, um, you know, made a decision, you know, he, he decided to let Mike Brown go early in that season, the 2012 season. And, you know, because there was high expectations because we had Dwight Howard and Steve Nash and that, that, you know, that, that this was a team that could possibly compete for a championship. So, you know, they made that decision eight games into the season. And my brother came to me and said, you know, would, do you think Phil would consider coming back? And I knew that was was like, this was like, this was, you know, like in the fall of 2012. And, you know, the, oh, right, I, said, right. I said, Jimmy, like, if, if that's the case, you know, it can't be, I can't be in the middle of you two. If you want Phil, this is your decision. You're in charge of basketball. You have to be comfortable with your decision. You have to talk to Phil. I mean, I, I'm sure he would be open to it, but I'm not going to run interference or be the connective tissue here. It has to be something that you want to do and you have to have that communication with Phil. And so, you know, he and Mitch Kupchak went and met with Phil and talked to him and they made a case to him that Phil was intrigued with, that he felt, you know, that, you know, it could be possible for him to come back because Phil always felt if you have Kobe Bryant on your team, you, you know, you can always win. And, you know, he, he, um, he, um, you know, Phil said, you know, can I have 48 hours to give you a, a decision? And the reason Phil wanted 48 hours was because he wanted to get cleared by his doctors because he wanted to make sure he would be able to complete a season and he wanted to talk to his family. And, you know, and I was hoping for the best. I would really wanted Phil to come back but I also knew that it had to be Phil's decision. So I wasn't applying pressure there or to my brother. 
And so, you know, that Sunday evening, cause it, you know, it was like Phil basically took the weekend to make the decision that Sunday evening, Phil wow. cooked dinner for us. Cause I, I'm not a cook. So he, when he was cooking dinner, he put on a Laker t-shirt and I thought that was him showing me a sign that oh. he was going to take the, the job. And he had, he'd ask his agent who was based in Chicago to, to fly out to LA on Monday. So that was another sign to me that, that, you know, it was going in the right direction. So that Sunday evening we went to, to sleep and, um, the phone rang around midnight or a little before midnight woke us up and it was Mitch Kupchak calling Phil to let him know that they had hired Mike Dantone as the coach and that, you know, so Phil was it, pissed. It, it, it was, I mean, first of all, to get a call in the middle of the night is not fun ever. And, um, you know, it just seemed kind of like a, you know, a backwards way to do things that, that, you know, he had asked for the time, they, they agreed to it. And then they pulled the rug out from under him. And that, that was for me, devastating. But I also knew that in order to make things work with my brother, that Phil would have to, to, you know, take another job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I encouraged him to take another job. And, you know, he had, he spoke to a few teams, but then when the Knicks came calling, that was the job he really wanted. Mm -hmm. Like that, that resonated with him because of what the Knicks meant to him and being able to be full circle. But he also wanted to be clear with me what would happen to our relationship. And I insisted to him that I, you know, I'm sure we'll make it work. We can make it work. People have long distance relationships and they don't suffer. You know, people in the military are separated from their families. You know, who are we to think we can't make it work? And, but I knew in my heart that that was going to be, that was like the first thing that was going to start to, to tear the relationship apart. But in order for my brother and I to work together, that, that, that pressure of Phil couldn't be in the background. So I was happy for him that he took the next job because it, it was what, it was the job Phil dreamed of, but it also, I knew was going to undermine the relationship that we had, but that was really what was going to keep, you know, my brother and I to be able to work together. And, you know, I, you know, supported his decision in bringing Mike D'Antoni into the Lakers. I so, just feel like you, I just feel like there was some weird choice over the, you know, the Lakers, the Knicks, it all, it all helped dissolve this. I, I got to you say with someone for 17 years, you know, you're not roommates raising kids, you're in love with that person. And I feel like if I, you know, you know, uh, push me aside if this is uh, inappropriate. I feel like you still love him. Are you still in love with him in some ways? I, I love him. I, you know, I, I love him. I, I can't live in Montana and do this job. And I, you know, and I didn't think, 
you know, I mean, the way it was left, my brother was going to run the, the basketball side. So I, I, it wasn't going to be something that I was going to have to worry about. But as time proved itself and, you know, I, I was part of the negotiating team when we agreed to this, you know, 20 plus year contract with our local broadcaster at the time, Time Warner Cable, but now Spectrum Sports. Um, you know, and, and their question to us when we negotiated that deal in 2011 was, we know how the team has been operated the last 25 years. How are you going to operate it the next 25 years? Mm -hmm. And the, the commitment was, we're going to be Lakers basketball. This is what we do. And we'll continue to run the team the same way. And that's, that was, uh, you know, that was important to me to express to my brother that I've made this commitment to our partners that, you know, we're going to continue mm -hmm. to run the Lakers the way dad did for the last 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so when we didn't make the playoffs and, you know, we were going through this, this transition time, I, I said to him, can you, I need to know for the business side, how we're going to operate like, I need to know when are we going to be back into the playoffs? Like, how do you, how are you going to get us there? And he's, he came up with the three-year timeline, which then would have stayed private with the family, but he declared it in the media. So then all of a sudden, this like three-year timeline became this ticking time bomb that people were like crossing off the days. And, and I had no reason to not believe that that's exactly what would happen, that, you know, yeah, we'd have this downtime, but we would be on the road to getting us back into the playoffs. And, you know, when it, when it, it started to become clear that that wasn't going to happen and we were coming to the end, and I had told them, I said, if, if, if we can't get to the playoffs in that time frame, then I'm going to have to make a change. And he was like, absolutely. I understand why you'd have to make a change. And so we were coming to that timeline and all of a sudden, you know, he, you know, the, some of the contracts that they had signed that free agent period when the cap went up and, you know, the, the Golden State Warriors were getting a player like Kevin Durant, we were signing players that weren't in that top, tier all-star level and you know it, it just there it just didn't seem to be like there was a direction or a yeah. path that was getting us to where we needed to be and that's when I decided to make the change and maybe some of the pushback that people had about you know who we hired as our general manager and Rob Polinka was that we didn't go through a, a you know what would be a traditional search but if people will recall the timeline was I made that decision right before the trade deadline, right? As, as the mm -hmm. league was going into the all-star break in that February, um, because I was afraid they were going to make trades that we wouldn't be able to recover from. So I had to make the, the, the decision quickly. And if I'd asked permission to speak to other assistant general managers around the league, it would have tipped the hat of what we were doing. Uh, As this was all coming about, that's my, right. brother, 
right no, no, so my, bro my brother was on the other hand mounting a, a legal campaign to remove me from the position that i was in and you know that you fought back like anybody would right and and i needed at that time i needed magic johnson who truly is the hero in this story because he came in and stood stood by me and and you know show you know if anybody knows magic and what a lakers nation knows is magic is all about lakers winning like <laughs> he doesn't accept yes. anything else and so they knew if magic came back to the organization and joined me and what we were doing that they had faith that we were going to put things in the right direction and that's exactly what happened so that magic was there to oversee basketball while I battled it off scene, you know, again, you know, trying to get things cleared out. And as the, the courts proved, you know, the judge agreed that it was clear in, in the trust that my father wrote that this, that I was to be the head of this organization and that what they were trying to do was put the team into chaos which would have been devastating for the franchise. It's one of the last great things that your father did and I think it I, I don't know I just uh, it, it says what he thought of you and everything else and it's what a legacy oh man I could uh, we got to do a quick lightning round and get you out of here I just um the whole Phil thing, I tried, I, I had one of my best fun, most fun columns was after 2010 and you were sort of like, basically like, yeah, when is he going to pop the question? It, you know, I played it with it in the column and Phil was great with it. And you could tell that there was this almost uh, fun back and forth of a young couple. Um, and I thought Ramona Shelbourne, my, my former colleague at ASPN and a person that you've really connected with because she's just written some really thoughtful articles. Um, Camelot was over you know she wrote Camelot was over and I almost felt like that too like there was a there's a real love there was a real, but it was almost impossible for it to happen because of your lives because of who you were um, do you regret not marrying Phil um I you know again it's like it, it's like this you know I I like to say that my dad had you know his children but yeah. the Lakers were his baby and he left me in charge of the baby and that that you weren't is, gonna leave that baby. You weren't gonna was, abandon that child the way you were emotionally abandoned in your own life, damn it. And like and that I that can is, say that because that happened to me too. So and it and it's like that's fulfilling for me. Like this is, you know, I I'm single now and and you know, but the fulfillment I get from this family atmosphere and the relationships that I've built with the people I work with, with the players current players, former players, that is, that's the, you know, we have the family that we were born to and we have the, the family we build ourselves and this family is what feels good to me and, and I'm, I'm very happy. I, you know, I care about Phil, I love Phil, but this is, this is where I need to be. You wanna, would you, um, would you be fulfilled if you found a life partner at this point or is it something like, eh, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> If it happens, it happens. It's like, yeah. I, I can't imagine, you know, 
And I'm certainly not doing a match.com for you. I think you could probably do that on your own, but, but I, because I like, no, because I feel, because I feel a real affection for you as a person. And I think you're just a good, you know, you're just a good soul beyond the fact that you happen to be wealthy. You happen to be governor of Lakers, but you, but you're a good soul above everything. And I want you to be happy. Thank, thank I know you. that's kind of cheesy, but that. damn it, I'm going to say it. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, real quickly before I let you go. Is LeBron James going to get a statue if he wins another championship? Absolutely. Why, this is, one of these people asked me this, but I have to ask it. Why isn't George Mike in five championships? Why doesn't he have a statue? Do you not like his glasses? No, no, that's, you know, I mean, that's something that, you know, we we don't have a, a statue of Wilt Chamberlain either. Like it, it's Ooh, you know, like the statues. No, and 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 like the statues all came about because um, when we were building Staples Center, you know, Michael Jordan had just gotten his statue at the United Center, and mm -hmm. really, my dad gave so much credit to Magic Johnson. You know, the Lakers wouldn't be the Lakers without him. That it just seemed fitting that we have a statue of magic at Staples Center, even though he didn't get to play there, Staples Center wouldn't exist without him. And so that's kind of what started it all. And then it's just kind of evolved. And, you know, it's, it's not something you can just change overnight, but like, yeah, we can expand and add. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we got a Jerry West statue and a Kareem statue and obviously a Shaq statue. And, um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's it doesn't. There's no limit to statues, so like that's always something that can be on yeah. the table. And and absolutely, you know, if if he agreed to it, LeBron would be one of the, the most popular statues. Oh. I think. Um, until I die, I will um, advocate for a Smush Parker statue. I know you don't care, but I do. Bruce, get can you get on the line here, please? Because we have to let Jeannie go. Um, are you there? Of course I'm here. I was hanging okay. on every word from both of you. I took four pages of notes. Um, this is the greatest interview we've ever had. This. this is the greatest interview we've ever had. Um, I'm still, uh, the, I love that, by the way, Bruce, I love that Jeannie is, um, one of her goals in life is to, is to uh, beat the Celtics for all-time titles. She has real trophies in the background of her office. You, however, um, have little miniatures that you blew up that the league gave us as as media guys, and I think as a long, lifelong Celtics fan, you should be ashamed of yourself right now. I am in the famous picture though of Paul Pierce dumping Gatorade on Doc Rivers uh, in 2008. I was standing by waiting for Mike Tirico to finish up doing radio so I could take him on the court to do interviews. And yes, so uh, it's the, one of the moments I'll always remember. And I was so sorry that it came at the Lakers' expense. And my, and my phone died, Bruce. I have no problem telling you that. You had a couple great text questions that you sent me. Can you, um, can you read those to, a couple of those to Jeannie very quickly? Just because I thought they were really, um, they were, they were really thoughtful. And it was the kind of thing that I would, I asked, obviously asked her about LeBron and the statue. I think LeBron's going to retire Laker. I know you hope he does. I hope he does. It just seems right. I was just, I was, one of the questions I had, and again, you don't have to answer it if you don't want, because the podcast is basically over at this point, is Magic consulted on any of the team's decisions at this time? That was one of the questions from Mike. You don't have to answer uh, well, it if you don't want. <laughs> no, no, no. He's, he doesn't have an official role. That's why he can talk 
you know, do interviews and talk about other players on other teams, but he is not part of that day-to-day -day process. But where I give him credit is that he saw this path of getting LeBron and then building a team that would showcase LeBron and, and allow him to lead us to a championship. So, so when I say he created the path, he did. We would not have LeBron James if it wasn't for Magic Johnson. So while he's not part of the day-to-day -day thing, you know, decisions, there, there has to be a boundary there. Otherwise, he couldn't talk about other players, um, you know, but he is still somebody that I'm close to and that I love dearly. That was dope. Man, was that ever a full stop? I could have gone on another couple hours. She was so engaging. Thank you very much to Jeannie Buss for sharing some time with us. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, as well as our talented editor, Tom Phillip. This doesn't get done without both of them. Please listen to all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with John Fanta comes your way each Tuesday with the best college basketball guests anywhere. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with my friends Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here each Wednesday. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with my better friend, Monica McNutt, and King McClure drop in every Thursday. Their most recent guest was Baylor head coach Scott Drew. And B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman are here every Friday with the Pure Hoops podcast. I'm back each Monday with the Mike Wise Show. Please listen, review us, and leave a five-star rating. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Finally, irrespective of whether you're from a blue state, a red state, or anywhere in between, COVID-19 is still tearing through this country. So please wash your hands and stay at least six feet away from others and wear that mask. Don't complain about it, just do it. That includes you, you loser radiologist in the White House. And please treat everyone around you, even strangers, as friends and be considerate, like I just was to the radiologist in the White House. And don't forget to keep our medical professionals in your thoughts. They are the real heroes. Also, we need to continue working for social justice as we strive for a more just and inclusive society, the kind of society Jeannie Buss wants for all of us. So please do your part and don't forget to vote. Until next week, aloha people. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.